Hey, thank you for turning into the Charles in Charge show. This is going to be a lot of fun today. Uh, we're going over all the uh, biggest stories of the week because it is Saturday. Yep, July 25th. Man, this year is flying. But I'm excited. I hooked it up to a new camera today, so we're going to see how that goes. It's a little tough because I can't really hear myself. I have a little viral infection thing going. All right, let's see. So first up. Uh, we're going to look at this judge denies Oregon's request for restraining order against federal officers. What does this mean? So updated, uh, today, early in the morning, a federal judge on Friday denied the Oregon attorney general's request for a temporary restraining order against certain actions by federal authorities in Portland. As I, uh, I didn't really see a top story on it, but apparently this week, on NPR, for example, didn't show it. But this week, I did see that uh, Oregon's been going through some serious protests. Um, maybe we'll figure out why. I don't know. Uh, Oregon Attorney General Ellen Roslin filed a lawsuit on July 17th against the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Interesting lawsuit, <laughs> okay. Um, against themselves, practically, the U.S. Marshal Service, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the Federal Protection Service, Services, and their agents. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Normally, you're supposed to go after criminals, but you are on a different path today. But this is Portland, Oregon, I'm going to guess. Um, Oregon. No, sorry. Oregon. Uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, she alleged that federal officers in the city of Portland have acted unlawfully by seizing and detaining Oregonians without probable cause, and she sought a restraining order. Yeah, so this is like Portlandia. You got a whole bunch of wild people there just doing wild stuff, and she thought a restraining order that would temporarily stop them from using such tactics. That's very Portlandish, just saying, hey, look, these people are doing some stuff, but stop stopping them from doing some stuff, or I'm going to sue you guys, which I think they're already there, or they're supposed to be there to protect people. Um, interesting. I, I figure, like, the mayor could get involved and help with that. We are today asking the federal court to stop the federal police from secretly stopping and forcibly grabbing Oregonians off our street. All right, I, I'm curious as the secretly stopping part, how that even makes sense um, or how that's happening. I'm, what are they like pulling up in like a black van and just pulling someone in off the street? That, okay. Um, it seems to be pretty widespread or something. <laughs> the lawsuit specifically asked the judge to require federal officers to identify themselves and their agency before detaining any protesters explain the basis for making any detentions or arrests and not arrest individuals without a warrant or probable cause. I mean, that seems fair if that's not what was already happening. On Friday, U.S. District Judge Michael Mosiman denied that request. He explained his reasoning in a 14-page decision. While the case involves allegations of harm done to protesters by law enforcement, he wrote, the plaintiff is not a protester. Beyond that, the state is not seeking redress for past harm done to protester, but rather an injunction against future conduct, which he called an extraordinary form of relief.
Mosman wrote that the state would have needed to make a very particularized showing in order to prove its standings to bring such a lawsuit. That would go back to me and their secret pulling off the street. I mean, I'm down to let people protest all day, um, but you're going to have to show me where on earth pulling someone in secretly was happening and how often was this happening and what, what did they specifically mean by that? Because it has failed to do so, most fundamentally because it has not shown it's vindicating an interest that is specific to the state itself. I find the state of Oregon lacks standing here and therefore denying its request for a temporary restraining order, he concluded. Rosenblum filed the lawsuit in response to what she described as two incidents involving federal authorities overstepping their powers and injuring and threatening people, peaceful protesters in Portland last week. That's not good, and I definitely think these people need to be allowed to protest, but um, you cannot let it get out of hand to where actual property and not so much property, but people are in danger. Protests against racism and police brutality in Portland have grown increasingly tense after the Trump administration deployed federal law enforcement officers to protect federal buildings there. Okay, I think that's within his purview is to send officers to protect federal buildings. I wouldn't want them doing anything outside of just standing in front of federal buildings. Um, yeah. According to Rosenblum on July 12th, a protester standing near the Marco hate-filled United States courthouse was hit in the head with an impact weapon and suffered a severe injury. And on July 16th, an unmarked minivan, whoa, here we go, unmarked black minivan with undercover federal agents wearing generic green military fatigues. What does generic green military fatigue even look like? Oh, and it is raining outside. All right. Grabbed a man off the sidewalk and detained him at the federal courthouse. Well, they detained him here, so I don't know if that's secretly. If they would have pulled him into the van and disappeared, I would want explanation. Mossman noted that the state presented only two examples as evidence despite painting a picture in its complaint of numerous protesters being seized from the streets of Portland by unidentified agents. Yeah, that's kind of what I was grabbing, like how many was happening, what's this happening to? Apparently, it's really happened to one person, and they kind of stayed at the location they grabbed them, so terrible secrecy. Uh, he also said that the state did not present evidence of any official order or policies behind the seizures, uh, nor any evidence that they are in widespread use. I, I can agree with that. And I was actually on the side of Portland in the beginning, but based off of this, I see where the judge made their decision. Mosman noted that the state presented only two examples as evidence despite painting a picture, right? He also said that the state did not present evidence of any official order or policies behind these seizures. Mosman noted that it's not unusual for people involved in major protests to allege that police crossed a constitutional line. In their interactions with protesters and for some of those people to file lawsuits seeking money, damages, and injunctive relief. These are really tough. Whenever it comes time for protest, I don't know how to think. Like, in a sense, I want the police to be safe because I do have a few friends who are police officers. They're not bad people. They, they're just like you and me. They actually show up to their job and can't wait for it to be over. So they can go to the gym, go to the grocery store, go back home. The last thing they actually want to do is be in their car. The last thing they want to do is 
or end up picking up a person. And um, I mean, at the end of the day, they're just like you and me at our regular jobs. And when they have to go and stand in front of these riots, it's really stressful for them because they never actually want to get on the wrong side. But at the same time, if they see one of their officers or know one of their officers is going through something or doing something, they have to follow and back them up. And sometimes it doesn't allow them time to actually gauge what's happening in that situation. So it's very stressful, very scary, actually, Um, especially when you have these people in front of your face. And then you're reading and hearing stories of maybe a protester somewhere else in another state that actually killed a police officer. You know, you're scared. Now you're on edge. What's next? I mean, I do not approve of officers using pepper spray or anything like that on just people standing there peacefully protesting, which I've seen. I definitely think they that should not be allowed. Uh, While I respect Judge Mossman, she added, I would ask this question. If the state of Oregon does not have standing to prevent this unconstitutional contact conduct by unidentified federal agents running rugshod over her citizens, roughshod, sorry, (laughs) over her citizens, who does? Um, Yeah, good question. Maybe the individual mayors, maybe they'll start standing up. I, I mean, I don't really see too big of a need to continue this. I think they just don't like the fact that Trump moved in federal agents. I I don't want him to intervene with the protest. I think he should just go within his authority and just put them around federal buildings. I mean, we do pay for those as taxpayers, and I don't want them destroyed. Um, Today's ruling suggests that there may be no recourse on behalf of our state, and if so, that is extremely troubling. Justice Department filing on Seattle police. Okay, goes on because she also filed it against the police. As Portland tries to cope with protest and law enforcement response, so does Seattle Wash. On Friday, U.S. District Judge James Robert granted a motion filed by the Department of Justice seeking a restraining order to block a Seattle Police Department directive banning officers from using less lethal crowd control tools like pepper spray and blast balls. Oh, it's really pouring down outside. Uh, According to the DOJ court filing, the directive was set to take effect at 3 a.m. on Saturday. Roberts said the temporary restraining order on the directive was very temporary and more discussion was needed. So they're trying to stop them from using pepper spray and things like that on the crowd. Again, um, these should be there, but they should only be used once someone in the crowd is doing something completely illegal and it should be more onto that person, not the mass crowd, which I'm seeing they're kind of sometimes spraying it into the crowd. The justice department argues that the implementation implementation of the directive would change police policies and thereby conflict with requirements of the consent decree that the city's policeman part has been under since 2012. After a DOJ investigation found a pattern of using excessive force. Yeah, do not be using excessive force. In his ruling, Robert writes that his decision does not mean the audience will no longer be implemented, but he asks he seeks a pause until the directive can be further reviewed under the terms. The temporary restraining order will expire in 14 days. So two weeks from now, um, Robert has ordered the city of Seattle and the Department of Justice to meet Propose a schedule for briefings on preliminary injunction no later than August 1st, right around the corner. The dog filing asked DOJ 
she dog? I don't know what the dog is. I think she meant the DOJ. <laughs> but um, apparently they have a misspell here. The DOJ filing asked the court to prohibit the city of Seattle from making changes to policies covered by the consent decree without first engaging in designated review, commitment, comment, and approval process. It specifically asked the court to declare that the directive cannot take effect as initially planned. So here is your story from Portland. They're having terrible um, protests right now that are actually from what I've seen in some pictures is destruction. And then I saw on uh, a far wing site that was on Facebook with someone, I guess they were burning flags. And then this man went in there with his flag to hold it up and they were like yelling at him and attacking him. And that's terrible because both people should be allowed to do exactly what they were doing. I'm not pro banning a flag, burning a flag um, at all, but that's what comes with uh, freedom uh, is there a freedom to express? And I wouldn't run in there with a flag myself to hold them off. That would be pretty bananas. Um, all right. Well, here we go. It is raining outside, and let's just read this one. Hurricane Hannah heads towards South Texas as the region confronts a COVID-19 spike. Hey, this might help. People will stay inside. The rain will wash away all the dirt on the streets. Helps keep the pollen down, so maybe to keep people from spreading it so quick. Hurricane Hannah is expected to make landfall along the southern coast of Texas on Saturday. It's raining outside. It's Saturday. This story's true. I'm with it. The storm strengthened overnight into a Category 1 hurricane, making it the first hurricane of the Atlantic hurricane season. Well, at least something is going to go into season and play through this year. The storm is expected to bring heavy rainfall to the region with the potential for life-threatening flash flooding, according to National Weather and Service Saturday morning forecast. The center warned of storm surges high as five feet along Texas' southern coast and said the upper coast of Texas and Louisiana could expect three to five inches of rain. Isolated tornadoes also. All right, well, there you go. We are... In the process of a giant hurricane while fighting COVID cases. I urge Texans across the state to monitor the weather in their area and take necessary precautions to protect themselves and their loved ones. The city of Corpus Christi, which is already dealing with a spike in confirmed coronavirus cases, was among the community bracing on Saturday for the hurricane's arrival. Already of the storm's landfall, the city closed at least one drive through testing site. Well... I mean, I'd say close them while it's raining because everyone should be inside anyway. Don't f don't feel like since we've been fighting COVID for five months that we're out of energy or we're out of gas. We are not. We can do these things together, and we're going to win both of them. And so we'll get through this. Macomb, whoever that is, told the Associated Press. But Macomb's comments also reflected the realities of the pandemic as he urged residents to take masks with them if they have to evacuate and stay with others. Oh, that's good, right? So if this hurricane gets to a high enough level to where they have to evacuate, that might not actually be very good because then you have a whole bunch of people maybe going to a school or some kind of um, hurricane shelter and placement center, and you're just going to be causing a whole bunch of spreading. Yeah, so definitely take your mask. Try to 
maintain social distancing because i mean at the end of the day you have to let people in despite social distancing because i'd say at that time the hurricane would be a more prevalent um thing to get away from than covid just by looking at the statistical average of people dying from covid and people who are stuck in a hurricane i would i would definitely take covid okay Oh, this was huge. Um, so here's a huge thing. Um, whether you're for Trump or not, uh, Trump signs executive orders on drug prices. The Trump administration has announced four executive orders to lower drug prices. If this pulls, pulls through, this is awesome. Awesome for everybody. Um, but health policy experts say they will likely offer patients only minimum relief. It may take months to implement if they're implemented at all. Let's keep going. The order signed Friday afternoon included allowing certain drugs to be imported from Canada and making changes to the way discounts negotiated by middlemen called pharmacy benefit managers are passed on to Medicare patients. The most radical order involves requiring Medicaid to pay the same price for some drugs. The ones patients receive in hospitals is part of Medicare Part B, the other countries pay. However, Trump said he's giving the pharmaceutical industry until August 24th to make a deal with him before he implements them. Interesting. Again, one of the problems with Medicare is they always pay exactly what's asked when it comes to health care. And that's. Uh, I'm just going to stop this. Trash story. All right, welcome to the Charles in Charge show. This is my show where I'm going to talk about news, sports, weather, anything, health, fitness, longevity, life. Um, these are all topics I will eventually cover. Uh, right now, I'm knocking out the news, so I like to scroll down the top stories and just read them out to you. Uh, for example, today, um, ICE confirms new foreign students can't take online-only course loads in the U.S., that's a pretty big story um, because I know a lot of friends right now who are uh, here because I work at a university. They're here, and a lot of the classes are right now being moved to online only. So do they have to get on a plane now and fly back? Uh, I don't know. Let's read it. Newly enrolled international students whose colleges and universities are operating entirely online this fall won't be allowed to enter the U.S. after all. Well, what do you do if they never went home? Do you send them home? I don't know. Let's keep going. Um, and that sucks that they won't be able to come back because some of them probably already paid for their dorms and stuff. But at the same time, if it is really online, it's a lot cheaper to just stay where you are, stay at home. Um, but if they want to, they should be allowed. That's what I'm trying to say. U.S. Immigration and Custom Enforcement confirmed on Friday that its guidance granting visa flexibility to non-immigrant students only applies to those who are actively enrolled at American schools on March 9th. Okay, so this is to students who are already enrolled. Non-immigrant students in new or initial statuses after March 9th will not be able to enter the U.S. to enroll in a U.S. school as a non-immigrant student for the fall term to pursue a full course of study that is 100% online. Okay, 
Let me read that one more time so you understand. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement confirmed on Friday that its guidelines granting visa flexibility to non-immigrant students only applies to those who are actively enrolled at American schools. Okay, so if you're already if you're a U.S. immigrant but you've already been here um, with the visa, you have the flexibility. But non-immigrant students in new or initial status after March 9th will not be able to enter the U.S. to enroll in a U.S. school as non-immigrant students for the fall term to pursue a full course of study that is 100% online. So you got to do some kind of lab or get into some kind of course that's on, on campus. If not, you're literally going to be doing it from home. It told designated school officials not to issue a Form I-20 to an international student in new or initial status who is outside of the U.S. Okay, so they're outside. So if they're already here, you get to take your classes. This is what my biggest fear was. And plans to take classes fully online. Okay. So if you don't plan on taking classes fully online, I wonder if you could just write that. Like, yeah, I definitely want to take classes on campus because some of them, I know where I work, um, some of the students that are enrolling and um, even where I'm teaching, um, it hasn't been fully determined whether the class I'm teaching or not will be online or offline. So I'm still waiting to hear. And I mean, they start August 23rd. Uh, okay, so fully online. But if you're already here, because I know some students, it looks like they'll get to stay and they don't have to be deported. And I think that's what had been banned previously last week. It told designated school officials not to issue the form. In a fact document last updated on July 15th, I said that newly enrolled international students who are already in the U.S. can stay in the country. Here we go, right there. It also suggests deferment as an alternative for new students whose schools are modifying operation because of the coronavirus pandemic. This is the latest installment in a saga that began when the pandemic struck since March. Institutions of higher education and their students have grappled with how to balance safety and academics during a global pandemic and under federal uh, directives that have at times been inconsistent. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, it changed that rule in early July, sending many students in higher education education institutions scrambling. The agency declared that foreign students attending U.S. colleges would not be able to enter or remain in the country if their classes would be conducted entirely online in the fall. Yeah, I, I know they were battling this. They still actually are. If, like here in Texas, they were allowing some classes, I, including some of the ones I'm supposed to be teaching, to go back to the classroom, but with social distancing. But now they've learned that um, they're going to do some kind of hybrid, possibly just the beginning of this semester will be online. And then later they'll come to class. That was something that was brought up. I don't know how they're actually going to implement that. And why would students even want to do that? Uh, and so, yeah, that's pretty much that story. Uh, hope you enjoyed. I'll do more.